Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to today's program here on New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join us. It's been a great week, in my opinion. I don't know if you've got plenty of rain where you are growing, but thank goodness that there is some rain showing up, and the weather is, the temperatures have been kind of cool. Uh, Actually, our topic today is going to discuss why Cool and moist weather can be a bit problematic, but we'll get into that later. But, you know, we've been going through such a dry spell. I mean, I think maybe we've had some scattered showers here and there, but really no good uh, pouring rain. Uh, You know, pouring is not wonderful uh, for those areas in your landscape that may be exposed. The soil is exposed. Uh, Pouring rain is not good because, of course, that can increase erosion. So be sure that you are covering, at least with some kind of mulch, uh, those exposed areas. So when we do have those heavy thunderstorms and showers, that your soil does not erode away. It's never a good thing. Never a good thing. But we did need some resaturation of the soil. I don't know if you had had problems over the past month or so with things drying out. I know my uh, hydrangeas, uh, of course... It's in the name, hydra, hydrangea, meaning water lover, I guess. They do like moisture. They don't want to be too wet, but they are usually the first thing in the landscape to tell you that the soil is starting to get dry. Now, many other plants can barrel right through those times of dry soil, and many plants are drought tolerant. Hydrangeas aren't necessarily uh, drought tolerant, but they usually don't have a problem uh, living through our dry periods. They may drop some foliage, they definitely wilt, but I'm always trying to make them happy and give them extra water when they need it, but that does get time consuming, and sometimes it, it almost feels like a waste, doesn't it? As soon as you put down the water, It's like it's just evaporated. It's like it's just gone. But I am glad that we've had some rain and, of course, those thunderstorms that we are prone to getting. That's always a thing. But this is the South. This is the South. It's the land of humidity. We have a great long growing season, and we've got a big one ahead of us this year. Of course, we probably won't see a frost till at least October, but maybe later. Maybe later than that. And so we've got plenty of months to continue to grow things. You can grow any of your annual plants from seeds if you need to. you still got time for that. Of course, things like sunflower, uh, we're getting close to a window for those because uh, a lot of them need 120 days to bloom. And that's about four months. So you've got that now, but June is still a good time to be doing some of these things like pruning and, of course, fertilizing because plants do need to be growing now. And if they have everything they need to grow, then they will surely put, uh, put out that new growth and, and really please your garden spaces. So I am glad that we've had this rain. That is going to change the game, I think. Um, we had just planted 
6,000 square feet of cut flowers at the nursery. And it was time to plant them, but we didn't have the rain. So for about a week, a week and a half, after we planted, we were out there watering because it was so dry. And then, of course, over this past weekend, we had uh, some some really good good rain, and it continued this week. So it's a good thing. Anytime it rains, I think that gardeners' lives are happier and definitely more simple. So today on uh, New Southern Garden, we're going to talk about some timely things. I've got a fairly lengthy list. Some of these may seem random together, but um, I don't know, this first topic is probably going to take a while. So we may not get through it all today, but that is just fine because um, this is June, the middle of June, give or take, and we are headed into (laughs) July and August. I guess we can call them the dog days. And so one of the biggest issues that we start to see when the temperatures raise, and of course, uh, well, if they stay cool and moist, kind of like we've had this spring to some degree, uh, one of the biggest topics to think about is diseases, diseases in your landscape and on your plants or in your vegetable garden. Of course, I guess we should start it off by saying that plants, like people, are living organisms. And living organisms can affect other living organisms. As a matter of fact, we could go so far to say that living organis- many living organisms consume other living organisms, right? So, of course, plants, they make their own energy. Uh, they make their own carbohydrates. They are fixers of carbohydrates, if you will. They use light. Uh, they use CO2. They use water. And, of course, nutrition to grow themselves, to, to feed themselves and grow themselves. Whereas there is a group of, of, of living organisms like people, the animal world, if you will, they consume energy that others make or have made or um, have in their bodies. So, of course, you know, you and I probably eat chicken and pork and beef. Uh, but then again, we eat a number of plant material like tomatoes and lettuce and squash. And so we have to consume things in order to continue to grow and be alive. So with that in mind, there are living organisms that you and I can't necessarily see with the naked eye. Of course, we can see their effects on plants. Um, Humans deal with this all the time with the disease. We get bacterial infections, maybe a few fungal infections. There are a few fungus that affect humans. Uh, most fungus that are in the living world are affecting plants. But uh, then, of course, there's those strange things like viruses. And plants are no exception. They are no real, really different when it comes to dealing with disease like we human beings have to. And so, of course, in the human world, there are treatments and there are things that we can prevent. Of course, during the COVID, what was the story? Wear a mask and wash your hands regularly. Of course, it's always a good idea to have good hygiene because that does help to eliminate the presence of harmful bacteria that may be on your hands, uh, on your skin. And the same kind of application goes with plants. Of course, plants aren't necessarily going to wear masks to prevent disease, uh, but cleanliness, sterilization, or sanitization, rather, uh, of their environment and of the body of the plant itself is critical. So we're going to talk through a lot of these factors, but I, I did want to start off by relating plant disease to human disease, because we deal with it, and of course, plants do too. Now, uh, plants... Uh, 
they don't seem to have uh, much ability. There are some chemical compounds that they may create to fend off things that are attacking them. But of course, humans, we have a brain and we develop and we use science and we can create medicines and things like that or preventative medicines to help us deal with diseases. So in the landscape, or let's back up, in the wild, plants are just part of this ecosystem of bacteria eating them of fungus eating them and then of course maybe killing them and then you have another series of bacteria and fungus that break down dead material and so with with that being said in the landscape if we don't want (laughs) to have to deal with so much death and destruction which is kind of the natural thing of course i guess uh, simba from the lion king this is a circle of life, right? Like they said it best, it's a circle of life. And so in the landscape, we would rather our roses and hydrangeas and all these beautiful things were growing to continue to grow, continue to thrive. And so that takes a bit of intervention on the gardener's uh, behalf. We, or the plant's behalf, I guess, but we have to intervene sometimes with our plants. We've talked a bit about insects uh this, this season so far, we haven't really talked much about disease. So we'll talk about the basic steps in trying to um, really prevent disease. That's the best route to take, but also deal with it once the disease has already started growing on the plant. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about deficiencies, plant deficiencies, particularly nutrient deficiencies, and what to look for with a plant that might look sick, might look like it's going through a disease, but actually it's just lacking something that it needs. And even then, I related the fact that like humans, we can have calcium deficiencies. There may be iron deficiencies, and those do um, present certain symptoms, and the same happens with plants. So before we get into the meat of uh, disease discussion, let's just clarify that some things you see going wrong with plants may not be attributed to a true disease as far as uh, some other life form like bacteria or fungus invading your plant. But it might be something that is just lacking in the plant or lacking in the soil that the plant can't then take it out of. So you may have nitrogen deficiencies, you may have phosphorus deficiencies, uh, you may have manganese and zinc and boron. There's some really small micronutrients that plants need. And if they're not there, they may show symptoms. And it might initially look like there's some kind of disease. So if you have a a nutrient deficiency in a plant, there's no need to go buy a spray for a, a fungus or a spray for bacteria because that's not going to solve the problem that the plant has which is not a disease which is not a disease bacteria fungal problem but rather it's a deficiency problem so we're going to talk about the really the first uh, really it's the second step i guess in preventing disease is identifying so the first thing we need to do is to be able to identify that we have either a bacterial fungus problem or we have a nutrient deficiency and you can check out our episode or show uh, of that nutrient deficiencies uh, online at newsoutherngarden.com or on your favorite podcasting app So with that being said, once we sort of eliminate that it's not a deficiency problem, then we start looking into the world of plant diseases. Now, with humans, we've already said this, but there are 
some similar diseases. Not that uh, the, the bacteria or fungus that affects a plant can affect us. It's not usually the case. But they do struggle. The top two plant diseases will probably be coming from some type of fungus or some type of bacteria. So that's probably where we're looking most of the time. But then, of course, they can deal with viruses just like humans can. And usually in the case of plants, there's no solution for a virus except to eradicate the infected plant or plants and uh, sort of start over. Uh, But then there are some other strange things which can be very problematic but aren't maybe as common, uh, which of course like protoplasmas and um, nematodes. Nematodes. Nematodes are considered to be uh, a cause of plant disease even though um, they're sort of bigger than bacteria. You can't see them with the naked eye, uh, but we don't know if they're necessarily in that microscopic bacterium kind of deal or if they're actually uh, some kind of insect. They sort of fall between those two realms. They're very strange, but they are highly problematic. You know, tomatoes suffer with nematodes big time. They can if you have uh, nematode in infestation in your soil that's where they live and then they can infect your plants roots so of course there are many uh, modern varieties of tomatoes that are resistant to nematodes and if you have nematodes in your soil then using resistant plants is going to be one of the best fixes for you they're very hard to deal with and hard to get rid of but with all that being said now that we know we have a slew of things that may affect plants as far as disease goes The number one step, the very first step, is to be scouting. Be scouting, which basically means always be on the lookout for potential problems that may arise in your plants, in your landscapes, in your vegetable gardens, in your fruit orchard, whatever it is you're growing. Be looking for spots. Be looking for lesions. Be looking for wilting when wilting should not be happening. So these are the some of the basic symptoms, spots, lesions, wilting, maybe deformed leaves, deformed stems, some kind of deformity. These are the first things that we need to be aware of. So whenever we're out pruning or watering or fertilizing, it's always a good idea to be scouting. Be on the lookout. Be looking for things that are unusual, for things that don't Uh, that don't normally look like the case because that is the first sign of trying to eliminate even greater problems. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk more about preventing and dealing with diseases in your gardens. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about dealing with diseases in the landscape. We usually talk about diseases once a year because every year is different. And so before the break, we were talking about our kind of steps to dealing with disease. We're talking about the first step. But before we get back into that, I want to say because every year is different, you may find you may find that uh, there are certain plant, certain diseases that aren't as problematic as others. Uh, certain diseases uh, may be more problematic one year than maybe another year. And a lot of that has to deal with, of course, the fact that um, every season might be different. So we have sometimes um, an early spring, and sometimes it's quite cool for a long time, and it kind of has been like that this year. Sometimes it's cool and wet, sometimes it's cool and dry. Uh, sometimes it's hot and wet, sometimes it's hot and dry. And so depending on the, the season we're in and what's going on with the weather and the climate in particular, that may be helping certain diseases to prolificate and suppress others. But then, of course, we get a change in the weather for an extended period, and that may uh, help destroy some diseases and may help others come in and start invading your garden. And so, well, here's an example. Um, it was sort of a problem this year, but not as bad as a couple of years ago. There is a disease that affects um, hydrangeas, which is kind of rare. Hydrangeas generally don't have a lot of diseases. Sometimes I see powdery mildew uh, on top of foliage uh, of the hydrangea group, but there's a, a bacterial spot that they can get, particularly when it's a very moist spring. And there was one year, I think it was at least two, maybe three years ago, where everybody in my area was coming to the nursery with cuttings and pictures, or they were emailing pictures of their hydrangeas with these black spots. And the question is, what do we do about it? Well, uh, first of all, that particular bacteria is not uh, deadly to the plant. It makes it look unsightly. It makes it look uh, uh, quite ugly, but it doesn't really do a lot of damage. It's not going to compromise the life of the hydrangea. We would just say maybe, well, this year was kind of a bad year for that particular disease. And uh, even though you, you could provide it with some, with some treatments that are going to help alleviate and maybe make those spots go away, but really it's the climate that's encouraging this particular uh, disease. And in another year, you may not even see it, or you may see less of it. And so that's just one of the best examples where it's a disease that's not too problematic for the plant. Sure, it makes it look bad, but it's not going to take the plant down. And it might be a, a problem one year, uh, but not so much a problem the next year. It all depends on the climate. And so, like I said, some diseases like it cool and moist, and some like it cool and dry. Uh, some may prefer it not usually hot, but yes, if there's humidity and moisture and a lot of heat, then of course, that's a great condition for most things to grow. And so as we go through out the growing season throughout the year, we want to be on the lookout for uh, what the weather is doing so that we might be able to anticipate if we need to start preventing a particular disease or something. So 
being on the lookout. That's basically what we were talking about. Sure, we're looking out for the weather, but the first step in present, pre- preventing disease or dealing with disease is going to be scouting. And that's where we left off before the break. We were talking about the fact that as you walk through your landscape, whether you're uh, working in it or whether you are just enjoying the day, always be looking for problems. Now, that does go for disease, but it also goes for looking for insects. Because in many cases, insects are are the vector for a disease to go from one place to another. Uh, I think of vector as a straight line. So in other words, you've got a, a insect that is consuming an infected plant and it flies directly to your plant in a straight line uh, and it rests on your plant and then infects your plant with the disease it picked up by being on that first infected plant. So yes, be on the lookout for both diseases and insects, scout for them, and see what's going on. Now, once you've done the scouting, once you know what is happening, you see some black spots, you see some lesions on the stem, or you see some wilting on a branch, and the rest of the plant uh, looks completely fine. Maybe there is a disease working through the stem, causing that one particular branch to wilt. So knowing what's going on and seeing, taking a look, and doing that regularly. At least do it weekly. But if you're out in your landscape more than that, the more you scout, the better off you'll be able to protect your plants. So once you have scouted for problems and you can find that there is surely something going on, well, then the next thing to do is to identify, to identify what is going on. So if you have a hydrangea that has a problem or you have a rose that has a problem, it's time to find out, are you dealing with a certain kind of organism uh, that's causing the disease and the symptoms? So maybe it's a bacteria, maybe it's a fungus, maybe it's a virus, We need to be able to determine what it is that is actually living on your plant's tissues so that we can start a um, kind of a uh, treatment program. Once we get to the point that a disease has taken in, it's definitely going to be a kind of treatment and trying to uh, remove or destroy as much of that living organism that's causing the disease as much as possible. So from there... From there, how do you identify? Well, of course, one of the best resources we have that your tax dollars are paying for is your local county extension office. And of course, there's an agent. There is surely an agent in your um, extension office. There there may be um, some horticulturalists there who are able to uh, see a picture or they can, of course, make site visits if that's necessary. Maybe you can take a cutting into their office and start there. But with the invention of the internet, of course, it's quite easy to come across uh, good photos that may match up with what you're seeing on your plant. So again, using extension, <laughs> go to Google and you can Google, say, rose, say you have a problem on your roses. So you would Google rose diseases and then add the word extension. That's what I like to do because that helps to filter out some of the blogs and some of the information that may not be science-based uh, or good research. And of course, there are extension programs uh, across every uh, state in the county, uh, rather every state in the nation. And so with that in mind, uh, you can probably find some good things going on there that will help you identify what is, what is happening. So once you get a diagnosis, then you can find information to help treat 
that individual problem. Uh, in many cases, some of the same, say, fungicides, fungicides will treat a broad spectrum of fungal diseases and some of the bactericides they will treat maybe a broad spectrum of the bacteria but one of the reasons that i want us to identify the problem is to learn more about the disease itself if you can say this is a particular type of fungus then there will surely be information available to us uh, that will give you the life cycle of that fungus or bacteria. Now, life cycle is very important, whether we're dealing with any kind of pests like weeds or insects or definitely diseases, because life cycle is going to tell you where that disease is at any time of the year, and it's going to tell you what it's doing at any given time of the year. And with that information, you will be able to determine when is the best time to strike. When is the best time to stop or interrupt the life cycle? Because if we can interrupt the life cycle of our pest, then it surely won't have a way to regenerate and continue to cause a problem. So in the case of some diseases, uh, let's say you have a, an issue on the foliage and over winter that disease will hang out in the foliage. Well, by the time fall comes, the foliage that was infected can drop to the ground. And if that a, a particular disease is able to stay in your leaves all winter, well, then guess what? it'll be popping right back from the ground in the spring. So removing the leaves, interrupting that life cycle, burning the leaves, destroying them, getting them off the property will be critical. When we get back from this break, gang, we're going to talk even more about the things you need to be prepared to do when disease comes knocking on your garden gate. Hang on tight. Greenness on Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, here we are in the second half of today's program where we've been talking about dealing with diseases in the landscape. I believe we talked about this last year, but it's always a good time this, this time of year to talk about it again, to remind ourselves that, you know, especially since we've gone through some strange weather patterns, it was quite cool, uh, it was quite moist. And then as we got further in the spring, it got very dry, it was hot again, and now we've had basically a week of rain, some spotty showers, probably everybody in North Georgia has got rehydrated, and so more humidity in the air and temperatures have been fairly low at night for a few days this week and then back up again and so with all that in mind th these are some conditions that are going to affect certain diseases whether it helps them grow pushing them into your garden spaces or whether the weather kind of de detracts from their growth and maybe suppresses some of the things they will be doing in your landscape but regardless the, we were talking about the steps to working through and preventing dealing with disease the first one is scouting 
And that, that just basically means to summarize that you're looking for problems as often as you can. And then, of course, the next step is to identify. And that's where we'll pick up. We were talking about identifying the problem because it's hard when you're going into battle. <laughs> it's hard to defeat your enemy if you don't know your enemy. You have to know its weaknesses. You have to know its strengths. And when it comes to disease, when it comes to bacteria and fungus and things, we need to know their life cycle in particular. And you can't know a particular organism's life cycle unless you know what that organism is. So making sure we get assistance in... Um, in identifying the disease that's on a plant, uh, of course, you can uh, use your county extension office, the county extension service, as a resource. And, of course, there's extension papers and pamphlets available online. And so that's always a great place to go and look for problems because... In the South, we've got some good research coming from our universities, horticulture programs, plant pathology programs, all of all of the it's good research. And so with that, they take pictures and you can kind of match up pictures with what you're seeing. And, you know, when it comes to, say, roses, which can be quite problematic with disease, when it comes to roses, uh, we we have a good knowledge of what type of organisms cause diseases on roses in our area and so looking for extension papers and pamphlets and research on that will help you to identify and then those pamphlets and papers uh, articles online will probably help tell you what the life cycle is and definitely in the extension research world you even get a series of treatment protocols what to do when to do what maybe chemistry to use uh, what kind of um Maybe organic options there may be to help working and dealing with certain diseases. But we've got to know. The point is we've got to know what it is. And we were talking about knowing the life cycle because if we know the life cycle of a particular organism that's causing problems on our plants, then that gives us an opportunity. That gives us an advantage against that disease because we can find somewhere where we can break the life cycle. And it goes for insects as well. You know, the cool thing about insects is that they generally go through a metamorphosis. They generally start out as an egg. They turn into some kind of larvae. Maybe there's a pupil stage. And then there's the adult stage. And so knowing these different um, uh, life cycles of different problems, we can find a weak spot where we can really get them and try to wipe them out. Um, so with that being said, identification is going to be critical. Know what you're dealing with. So once you've identified these problems, then it's time to start treatments. And of course, it's going to be quite specific. Uh, the treatment stage is going to be quite specific to whatever disease organism you're dealing with. But in general, there are some things we can talk about uh, that are usually helpful in most any case. Maybe one of the first things is sanitization, trying to remove and get rid of the bacteria uh, parts, the, um, the fungal parts that may be on foliage and stems. And so the first step or the first place to start sanitizing is the plant itself. Remember that uh, there are fungus and disease, there are fungus and bacteria that are going to affect leaves 
and maybe just the leaves. But then there are fungus and bacteria that may destroy leaves and go down into the stems of plants. And of course, there are diseases that can affect the roots of the plant. So knowing what you're dealing with and knowing what areas of the plant it consumes is going to help you determine if you can remove certain infected parts. Remember, if we remove leaves on a plant, a plant can regenerate new leaves. If we remove stems on a plant, a plant can regenerate new stems. And of course, roots are the same. If root material is removed, it can generate roots. But in most cases, it's a good idea to physically remove infected plant parts. And this is where the scouting, that first step, comes critical. Because if you're looking at your plants regularly, if you're looking at your plants regularly, at least once a week, maybe more times than once a week, then you're going to be able to start to see the initiation of a disease, that that uh, initial phase where there's just a few spots on maybe one leaf. You can remove that one leaf, burn it or throw it in the trash, send it to the compost. Do not, I'm sorry, send it to the landfill. Do not put it in your compost because, of course, uh, compost piles may be placed around um, plants. And if there's disease in the compost pile, well, you've got a cycle of endless disease. So never compost your uh, infected plant parts. But if you're scouting and you catch this thing early, you can remove just a small portion, remove just a small portion of the plant, and that may help alleviate the rest of the plant from becoming infected. But remember, knowing the disease is going to help. Some diseases may already be in the stem of a plant. So just removing some leaves uh, may not be very beneficial if the fungus or the bacteria or whatever it is, is growing in the stem because then it can get into other stems and maybe even into the root of the plant. Because where the bacteria and fungus usually get into in a stem is in these tubes. Uh, we've talked about these tubes before. Now, these tubes are like our arteries and veins. There's two different sets. We've got a set of, well, the botanical term is xylem and phloem. And the xylem tubes, they move water from the root and nutrition from the root to the leaves. But then the phloem tubes, they move sugar and carbohydrates, food that the plant has created in the leaves, down to the root. Now, these make great uh, highway systems for disease. It's very similar if a disease can get into the vascular system of a plant in these tubes, these pipes that run up and down. It's very similar to um, bacteria and infections in our blood, in our arteries, and in our veins. Once it gets into those tubes, it's like a highway to any part of the plant that it can possibly reach. And so that's some critical diseases there. Some of the wilts, like verticillium wilt and... Um, Fusarium wilt. These are some wilts that affect a number of plants, but they're well known to be a problem in tomatoes. And so once you get that, it's pretty much it for the plant. It's like a, what is the word? Sepsis, right? It's like sepsis in humans where there is a disease in the body and you have to go intravenously and try to remove and destroy uh, the parts of the disease in the blood. Well, it's not as easy to do that in plants. And so in many cases, these wilts are sudden um, and they can cause death. They can cause the end of the life of that plant. So knowing where a certain disease is going to be moving and be flowing, be, be 
be infecting is going to help you know if you can remove certain portions of the plant. There are some things like cankers. We talked about um, cankers last week with cherry trees uh, and little uh, the, the black knots that get into stems. And many times if you catch these cankers early, even though they're moving through the vascular system, um, you can remove uh, portions of the stem and try to get that disease out of there. But the idea is to not just remove the canker you see or where the dieback is, but where the dieback stops. Go inside the plant another six inches at least and remove the stem there. Now that's what we call a margin. Trying to remove all of the diseased area, but also a thick band of margin where living and healthy tissue may be. And so not just removing maybe what looks bad, but removing a little bit more. I guess to relate that to humans when we have, say, certain cancers in our body, uh, maybe liver cancer is a good example. Uh, when you have liver cancer, you try to get the cancer and then cells outside of that that are healthy. But the idea is we're trying to remove the disease plus any area where we may not see disease, but it surely could be. Um, you know, I think I shared with you a couple of years ago when my mother passed away, she had a, a brain tumor. And so they were able to remove this tumor. It was just like a round cyst. But of course, in the brain, you can't necessarily remove any more tissue than was already destroyed. You wouldn't want to remove a margin in brain cells. And of course, uh, the cancer did come back a few times. But uh, the idea here is that with plants, they can regenerate leaves, they can regenerate stems. And so removing what is bad but then removing a few more inches of what is probably good will help to remove, hopefully, even the smallest little particles of the disease that may be there. So again, sanitization on the plant itself is removing infected materials. But then sanitization off of the plant could be removing mulch that may be around the base. Uh, it could be removing, like I said uh, before the break, it could be removing leaves that fall to the ground. Because, of course, infected leaves or infected stems that fall to the ground, some diseases can stay there in that material and overwinter, as maybe a spore or some, some uh, uh, little uh, fungal uh, growth, I forget the name of them, uh, but they kind of harden themselves over and they'll just hang there until spring of next year. And so by sanitizing anything on the floor of the garden may be critical too. And yes, in some cases, if you have soil-borne diseases, sanitizing the soil is very few cases where we would just recommend to dig out all the soil and replace it. That rarely is, we rarely have to go to that extreme. Uh, but some folks, they will uh, sterilize their soil, which means that you either heat the soil up or uh, use some kind of gas fumes uh, that is going to kind of eliminate all living material there and kind of start over. But again, those are quite extreme situations that really I've never had to deal with. So it's probably something that you would probably only rarely uh, once in a blue moon. 
or maybe once in a third blue moon. I don't know. It's, it's not too usual. But cleaning things up, making sure that things are looking good. And remember, anytime you are pruning out infected material on plants, um, every time you make a cut, you need to sterilize your pruning shears. We don't do this enough. And that is one way that disease spreads. If we are trimming an infected plant, uh, or maybe trimming a part of a plant that is infected, but then go to another plant that's not infected or another branch that's not infected. It's like a using reusing needles in a hospital. We don't do that because moving the disease uh, by the pruners themselves is very likely. So we want to make sure that our pruning shears are sterilized, sanitized, uh, making sure that we're not the ones spreading disease around and around. Well, gang, when we get back from this next break, we'll talk about some of the options we have in controlling diseases, um, maybe some sprays and other things, kind of thinking preventatively. So hang on tight. We'll be right back with more controlling diseases in your garden. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So, gang, today with this kind of crazy weather we've had, it was hot and dry. Now it's kind of cool. I mean, it's hot during the day. It was cool at night. And, of course, we've had some rain. We're back to high humidity. This is going to play around with your landscape, play around with your plants. It's going to cause, uh, you know, diseases to set in. Um, Some diseases prefer certain types of weather conditions. Maybe some prefer uh, hot and humid. Some may prefer cool and moist. Uh, So being on the lookout... And trying to prevent disease is always the best way to go. I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said it best, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. And it is the case with diseases in our landscape. As a matter of fact, the, sort of the definition of fungicides are to be used as a preventative. So unfortunately, when a plant starts showing the symptoms of disease, it's sort of too late. Now, it doesn't mean that the plant is going to die, uh, and that fungicide may help to prevent the spread, but of course, the pathogen is on the plant now. It is there, and prevent, preventing the disease is always the way that we need to be thinking. So, uh, if you let a plant get too diseased and too far gone, there, there may be hope, but uh, it, it may be quite... Um, quite disastrous too. So today we have been talking about the steps to working with disease, dealing with disease. We're sort of revisiting a topic we talked about 
probably around this time last year. So, of course, you can find maybe another take on it uh, as far as we discussed it last year at NewSouthernGarden.com on the episode there, or you can find it on your favorite podcasting apps. So with that in mind, we talked about scouting, looking for problems. We've talked about identifying the problem and preventing the problem. We were talking about using maybe pruning, removal of infected disease uh, or infected plant material, um, and trying to regain a healthiness back to our plant. But there are some things you can spray, you can apply, and again, all of these need to be thought of as a preventative being present before there is a problem. Now, with that being said, one of the first steps we can start with are some of the very organic options, like insecticidal soap and neem oil, uh, and maybe even I'm losing my train of thought. Oh, horticultural oil. Now, these are all great to start with. Uh, In the early spring, late winter, think about your your orchard uh, where you have maybe apple trees, pear trees, uh, peaches, plums. Before they even break their bud, it is always a good idea to use a dormant or horticultural oil because all of these oils or soaps, they create a physical barrier between a disease and the plant leaf or stem. So the idea or a plant bud, whatever you spray it on, it is covering and it's making this physical barrier. And once a particle of bacteria or particle of a fungus falls into and onto the oil, or the soap, uh, it can't do its thing. It, it desiccates. It may dry out. It just it won't be alive anymore because it needs to feed in order to stay alive. But there's a oily, greasy barrier between me and my food source, and it just can't do it. So don't ever forget to use some of these great organic options, which, of course, are going to be um, only treated as a physical barrier. Yes, they wash off. So you kind of have to reapply these things after a uh, a rain, a period of rain, because it's going to fall off. It's going to be gone. Uh, And then, of course, reapplication, maybe weekly. You have to follow, of course, what the bottle says. Um, But then the idea is that uh, when we get into the more uh, heat and hotter days, when we get to that time period, sometime in spring, those oils are probably not going to be very beneficial. They would be, but Generally, if we are spraying oil on a plant's leaves in the full sun, when the sun is high, when the sun is hot, then it's like putting butter on your skin and sunbathing. You might very well burn and cook, essentially cook those poor leaves and parts of stems. So if you continue to use oils, be sure to follow the guidelines on the bottle. That's always the case. We follow the instructions um, just like they say, and you will be safe. But they really don't become too helpful during summer. So that's where another stage of fungicides may work. In the organic world, anything that is uh, sulfur-based, some sulfur comes as a powder, a dust. Some sulfur comes as a spray. Copper usually comes as a spray, but these are two elements on the periodic table of elements, uh, completely organic, very natural. Uh, But those sulfur and copper products create an environment that the fungus and usually bacterias cannot grow in. Back in the day, maybe 
1600s, I can't remember the time, but there was the Bordeaux mixture. The Bordeaux mixture was a mixture of metals and sulfur, uh, heavy metals like copper, and they would spray them onto the foliage of plants and it would help with preventing disease. But again, the oils, the soaps, these things, the copper and sulfur products, they're not going to be too effective once a uh, pathogen has gotten into the cells and the tissues of your plants. So that's where we need to maybe ramp things up a bit. We never want to go to the nuclear option to start, but of course there's a number of more chemistries that are very beneficial and helpful in order to prevent disease and maybe help suppress disease if it's already there. Uh, propiconazole, that's a big, uh, uh, big name for a uh, disease uh, chemical, but of course uh, it is actually a very good one for our area and in the South. Now, some of these um, chemistries, they come in two different forms. Uh, usually you, they have a spray, which might be temporary. It's like putting a lotion on your skin. It's topical. So that may have to be reapplied uh, maybe every tw uh, 14 days, sometimes seven days. You'll have to just read that uh, brochure on the back of the uh, product you're using. But usually the topicals, I like to call them, the things that are just sprayed on, they wash away, they have to be reapplied. And that's not a big deal. But something that's very helpful if you're looking at some chemical controls for your uh, plant diseases, is another type, which is systemic. And we've talked about systemics before. Now, systemics may be sprayed onto foliage. Systemics may be watered into the ground. It just depends on the product that's being used. But the idea here is that the, the, um, the medicine, I don't know if we should call it that or not, but the chemical, the medicine that's going to help cure the plant, uh, help fight the disease off, is going into the cells of the plants. If it's watered in at the root system, then the, the roots take it up. It goes into the stem. It goes into the leaves and usually into the flowers. It becomes a part of every cell in the plant. And then some other ones are sprayed on the foliage, and of course they go into the leaves there and do their thing. So when it comes to treatments, start mildly. And if that doesn't knock it out, then go to stage two. And if that's, you may have to go to stage three. But don't always go to the nuclear option. Maybe some trimming and some horticultural soap is enough to control a little powdery mildew. But again, these are kind of the stages, kinds of the steps. The very first thing we want to do with controlling disease is to make sure we're scouting, looking for problems. The next thing, of course, is to identify the problem, try to know its life cycle so you can tear that life cycle, split it in half somewhere. And then, of course, that's where the third step, treatments and controls, may become uh, helpful and handy. Of course, we talked about trimming as well. So, gang, uh, for WRWH and New Southern Garden, my name is Nathan Wilson, and I hope Give it that go. <laughs> I hope that you stay well and grow well this weekend. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.